How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies uh, and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. So, I, I, got, I got a quick question, Mark. Was there, was there a little bit of a fog in the throat? Just Did you hear little, that? Just a I, tad. I it cleared was, it as as we were uh, introducing it. Cleared. Yeah, it, it was it was a new approach. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. But, yes, uh, I didn't. I didn't do my uh, my vocal exercises prior to uh, going live here. So my apologies. Yeah. It will never happen again, Doctor Joe. So I've been towed. <laughs> yeah, that's a fraud yeah, joke. I, so I, I've been towed. I did. I did. I, thought I, I wonder, Tom, if you could introduce our guests and where they're calling in from. So, Dr. Joe, you went to the Galapagos, isn't that right? It is so true. No man is an island, but boy, those islands were amazing. And in your voyage, you made some connections, uh, especially with the naturalists guiding you. I did. The two naturalists who were guiding us were amazing. And I was hoping that maybe by some coincidence, they would actually show up here tonight. Well, Dr. Joe, hold on to your seat, because we have arranged a very special Reunion with Daniel and Bernardo Hakome calling in from Ecuador. Isn't that right? Yeah. Welcome, guys. It's incredible. How are you both? Haven't seen you in months. <laughs> hey, Joe. Hey. So, so, Danny, you're, you're in Ecuador. And, and Bernie, where are you actually right now? Where are you? Yeah, I'm in Quito right now. Came from the Galapagos yesterday. Okay, and Bernie, where are you right now? I'm in I'm in the Galapagos. So, I I don't know whether people quite understand what the Galapagos represents right now uh, in the world. Um, Bernie, you've been doing naturalist work for some time. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about the Galapagos and why people may want to visit there? Uh, yeah, I mean, in general, uh, the Galapagos, you know, being so pristine as it actually ends up being, uh, it's also a nice representation of how we human beings have pretty much affected or sort of molded up some of the places that uh, were already before, as you know, shaped by geology or, uh, and at some point, you know, colonized by many species of plants. You know, that's what some, that's something you can still say in the Galapagos because of how early uh, the human being in habitation uh, has happened around here. So I think that that's a, that's a good way, you know, to sort of release stress, you know, and get to find yourself because of being outside with nature, um, taking, you know, a, a good a good chance to, to release, yeah, stress probably, or just hang around, you know, it's a beautiful place, too, a beautiful landscape, so many animal species. Uh, I think that those things are, are pretty cool and the the national park still protects them so much. Uh, and I mean, they're really strict at some point. Makes it also quite quite a cool place, you know, to be hanging around that and uh, to be living in it uh, also makes it really special, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think that is such an important part of what this is, is it's, it is this part of the world 
where a human being can go and just, I, I, for me, it was just a marvel to be with and so close to other animals, other species, and they weren't afraid of us. That was really fascinating. So can you just tell us a little bit about, about what we saw? Because I was there, but I, there's no way I can describe the different birds, the lizards, the sea lions. Do you remember where we went and what we saw? And I know we've got a couple of, of our other folks who were on the tour with us. Catherine Graham is called in. Lisa Volpe is in there. Uh, they may all be sending us some questions, too. So, Danny, you tell us a little bit about yourself. So, Danny, uh, me, how long, is... tell us about you being an actor. Go ahead. For me, it's quite a new thing. Huh? I've, I did the same course, naturally, it's course with Bernie around four years ago. But the problem was that I didn't, like... I understood, like, learned a lot of things in, like, classes and theory and stuff. It was super nice, but I returned to, like, Quito, Ecuador, to keep, uh, to continue my my studies, uh I was finishing university, uh So, yes, for me, it was like, okay, I, I learned lots of things in the Galapagos, but I never was able, like, to fully put some practice on it. And, and for me, it was difficult, huh? I mean, I just came, like, let's say, one month a year to work in the Galapagos in, in land, so very close to the town. And I couldn't, I wasn't able to see all of the things we actually saw with you, huh? For me, it was as well, like, uh, not a really new experience, but, but yes, it was much better huh, than just being around town. So, yes, for me, it was a, quite a new thing. I was remember I told you this. So I was very I was I'm very lucky because my dad is a a naturalist. Our grandfather is a naturalist. So I've been very lucky and related to the islands like crazy all my life. But just to get the chance with to go with Bernie and with you guys, that was amazing. And for me, it was the best way for, uh, for me to learn and actually be around and and see everything and to understand what I was. But I've been reading like crazy and to see the different aspects of the same animals you, you can get to see on town at some point. But yes, on nature and very far away in different islands. Remember, the Galapagos, most of them are islands are very similar. They have the same animals, but they are very different from each other. So it is super interesting when you watch closely. And that's for me was kind of my experience with, with that. Yeah, I, I do think that, that the Galapagos, even though it seems like their species may be the same, the islands themselves are so different. In fact, yes, at some point, you know, that uh, sort of relation that uh, people always try to find, you know, between human beings, you know, and probably animals or nature. Uh, it's pretty interesting, you know, it's actually very uh, handy, you know, because it actually helps us understanding, you know, more than how can they, you know, be so similar to human beings, how we are actually a bunch of ha animals, you know. Uh, and at some point, I believe that probably our minds, you know, our brains have allowed us to develop some weapons uh, that have probably overcome, you know, the idea of just being um, animals, you know, competing, you know, for territory, uh, females, uh, space, you know, or whatever. 
because of the amount of uh, things that we can create, you know, because of the creative brain that we actually have, we have created so many different weapons, you know, so many different ways, you know, showing power probably towards different uh, people, you know, towards different communities. And uh, at some point, you know, that has allowed us to, uh, once again, you know, fall into um, killing people, you know, and stuff, you know. At some point, probably human beings, you know, fought for territory uh, by using jujitsu or by wrestling, you know, and that would barely kill, you know, a human being or another human being. I think that's what makes it the makes the difference, you know, why we human beings are do really kill each other and uh, things like that. I would say, but no, nobody talks about that necessarily on the on the on the guides courses. I believe. Mm. Um, no, I don't remember that. Yeah, but it's a really good question. Yeah, yeah, it it um, it is remarkable how human beings have constructed all these weapons of war, but also all these remarkable things that we can explore with, like even the boats we were on. You know, I wonder, Bernie, can can you just just describe what it's like to be on on a boat for you for so long? It's uh, it's actually it's. It's pretty interesting. It's kind of, uh, at some point, you can really feel kind of lonely. But then again, it's always, you know, hanging around with animal species. It's hanging around the crew members, you know, who at some point become kind of your family, you know. Since I'm kind of like the youngest, you know, I like to call them uncles. No, just kidding. Uh, But uh, at some point, yes, you know, they become your family. And, and, you know, always meeting new people, kind of like refreshes that feeling of getting to getting to go out at some point probably just eight days you know seems like a very short time uh just to get to meet somebody you know and then you have to say goodbye and, and you know that can, it can be it can be demanding at least mentally i would i would say i think that's the most demanding part yeah actually the yeah. personal relations but it's it's still all kind of cool you know and everything is always new so i think i think that's kind of like cool you know to be on a ship you know first of all the idea of being on a ship then you know i never necessarily got seasick uh, but I believe that it can be, you know, quite a struggle for people who are not necessarily used to, or not they haven't developed their sea legs. Uh, we can tell. I mean, yeah, yeah. Some people definitely uh, had a difficult time with it. Danny's laughing because he may have experienced <laughs> that. Those themselves, like <laughs> so. So, can you just? People may not actually know where the Galapagos Islands are. Can you just tell us where they are and, and what we know about them? Uh, just to let you know, they are located, you know, the closest island to the Galapagos is located 60 miles, sorry, 600 miles, you know, away from the mainland Ecuador. Uh, the closest piece of, of land to, uh, to them would be actually towards the north, you know, that would be the Cocos Islands, uh, an archipelago from Costa Rica, and that's like 400 50 uh, kilometers away from the northeast island of the Galapagos. So it's actually a very remote island. You know, what makes also the Galapagos so special is that uh, it's basically a bunch of volcanoes, you know, massive mountains that go all the way, you know, more than uh, two miles, you know, underwater. Um, Having, you know, so because of it being located on a tropical part of the world, you know, so close to the equator, you can actually that tropical kind of like island vibe, you know being hit by so many cool currents, you know, uh, so many cold currents, you know, uh, creating such an upwelling of nutrients, 
makes it such a special special place, you know. But that's because it's being so remote, you know, and gets you know currents, pristine currents all the way from Australia, pristine currents all the way from Antarctica, you know, and that's actually quite unique. So many cold waters you may have noticed, but uh, tropical uh, climate still, you know, the, that contrast is what allows so many different species and weird species we found over here. Uh, not many inhabitants to the Galapagos uh, necessarily. I think that we are close to 50,000 in total. Uh, you can still feel that certain type of island vibe, you know, 50,000 um, spread, you know, into the different islands. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at some point, um, it's 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 quite a special place, and uh, you cannot necessarily become a Galapagos resident just because that's what also makes it. Uh, besides that, you know, kind of like a nice place to live at because you have a guarantee that not necessarily going to have the exponential growth that most of uh, most of the populations around the world do have, you know. So you can still guarantee yourself, you know, a certain type of island chill vibe, you know, to live in. Personally, talking about, you know, the, the idea of living in this place too, you know, perspectives for that, for the same statement, yeah. And I, I hope people understand that, that the the islands there there really aren't any humans on them right i mean it's not like there are houses and and electrical systems i mean these are the islands as they've been for hundreds of thousands of years it's literally three percent you know of uh of the of the islands of the territory of the islands that it's actually inhabited by human beings you know or used for by human beings you know including the visited sites that we go to you know so yeah, I mean, it's most of it is actually pristine. The only difference, probably, that Charles Darwin got to see from when he came over here, you know, to nowadays, would be just the amount of microplastic, the plastic pellets, but that about, and that's concerning. I know that's actually a really bad thing, but besides that, you know, it's like it's like the same thing, you know, and it's because of how people have taken care of this too. Yeah, but that is true. I mean, we we spent. Uh several times on each island just finding little pieces of plastic and picking them up and giving them to Danny or, or Bernie so that they could just be disposed of. So we, we have an influence. Remember, you control no one, you influence everyone. But boy, humans still have an influence from thousands and thousands of miles away. I mean, these little pieces of plastic just washing up on the shore. I've got a comment here in our uh, chat from Scott Wellman, who's an amazing uh, pediatrician. I was taken by the genius of evolution. We saw lots of waved albatross because they were in their nesting sites. What we did not see was albatross at sea flying for days on end using dynamic soaring techniques which humans can have adapting. We did see a lot of albatross. What other what other species did we see out there? Uh, well, we, we saw a bunch of we saw a bunch of birds. Uh, first, you know, adding to Scott's comments. Uh, the fact that we, why we probably wouldn't have seen, you know, other trusses also kind of like diving or getting pulled straight out of the water, it's because uh, they feed at night, you know, and it's really hard to see them actually when they're doing <laughs> that, That's the fact, you know, that's the reason why we didn't see them also, you know, adapting crazy uh, diving or fishing techniques. So, but anyways, you know, besides that, I mean, a massive amount of seabirds. Uh, we saw massive amounts of reptiles, uh, seabirds like the boobies, you know, boobies, funny name. Uh, <clears throat> we saw the albatrosses, we saw the seagulls, we saw the, I don't know if we got the, got the chance to see the Galapagos hawk. We saw the owl. Yeah, we saw a hawk, we saw a hawk. I got a yeah, picture yeah. of a hawk. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, we saw the. Uh, it was it was actually a great trip, you know. Some of those weeks. Did we see? I, I have a question. Did we see hammerheads? We saw a few hammerheads probably from the surface. That's right, Danny. Yeah, the uh, we saw hammerheads, uh, huh? Yeah, yeah, we saw, I mean, we saw, we saw a bunch of... We saw very close, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we didn't see, of course, you know, in fact, many uh, land mammals, but that's because, you know, the possibilities or the chances for land mammals to have at some point arrived here, you know, and establishing these islands, you know, it's very low, you know, that's why also no amphibians, they wouldn't have made it all the way here. But uh, some marine mammals, uh, I mean, the species were on the boat. It was, it was a great trip, actually, yeah. I remember, yeah. The seas were pretty rough, you know. Yeah, that's that's in fact true. But it was it was fun, yeah. Yeah, there were some pretty rough seas there. That's that's for sure. So, so, Danny, I I want to come back to you for a minute. So, how how long have you actually been doing this as a naturalist on your own? On my own, um, well, actually, on my own own. These last two weeks were my first ones by my own. I as so, well like <laughs> I work like uh, like a month ago as well with my father in a in a bigger boat where they will actually need three guides naturalists and I was one. My father was second second one and there was a friend of mine that was the third. So I was actually as well there like working by myself with with a group, but I was very lucky because before that I went with Bernie, then I got the chance to go with my father and he he like kind of like, if I didn't knew anything, he told, he told me something about the islands or so for me to understand it and just to give you nice facts and very interesting things because for me, I mean, it is like the Galapagos are not, as Darwin says, they're not so pretty not until you get look closely huh? so that's very important i believe yeah th- that is true the the actual landscape you you wouldn't necessarily say oh this is a place that's beautiful to hang out although we, there was a couple of beaches that were absolutely amazing yeah. but there were lava fields each island i think had a different ecological character and the animals there even though they may have been similar clearly had to adapt bernie what what, what is a naturalist uh in fact uh a naturalist would be you know according to the perspective uh dr joe you know for example he probably has a same perspective because of him being you know the the ears you know to everything that the naturalist was saying um then you know the national park you know would consider a naturalist uh more like a certain type of uh, national park ranger kind of, you know, or the eyes for the national park, basically because we are hanging always around the visited sites, the visited area, so we can set type of monitor the island, you know, from different flanks. So that's kind of a, a useful part, probably, of, uh, of, of the naturalists. And uh, then after that, uh, I mean, at some point, we provide loads of information. Probably, you know, it's also very helpful for us, you know, to try to try you know to uh make germinate a certain type of seed you know of conserv conservationism on people people's minds you know that can be probably also a, a handy thing you know because at some point uh people can you know get donations or at least you know the national park fee that they pay on the entrance you know 
can seem sort of worthful, you know, or, or at least, you know, projects that probably people didn't necessarily think about, but at least in those terms, I would believe that that's probably another handy use for being a guide. Then that's what I would say that a guide would be, you know, like, uh, or that would be the cool part of a, of a guide. Then you, of course, you know, you're there, you know, uh, to make sure people will not leave the trails, you know, to make sure people will not hang around the nesting areas, or, or also, you know, we, we sort of protect as people, you know, are learning and as people are watching and, and staring at things, you know, uh, if you can make it funny, that can be, you know, just the home run for everything. But at some point, you know, we're there, you know, to also take care of the area people are actually going, you know, to, to explore. And uh, it's a really cool place. That's why, you know, I think Ed, that it, it's also necessary that we have guides, you know, to, to avoid getting into damage, you know, by the amount of people that would be at some point arriving to the Galapagos, going on to these kind of tours. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you could imagine, Joe, a, a trip, you know, without a guide. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, as um, Scott has written in, it was essential having guides. This would not have been half the trip without them. Um, and Gail Mack is writing in, I love going out on the deck each morning, the deck of our boat, to see where we would land each day. That afternoon we came to that lava field, felt like landing on another planet. And so I, I, I really believe that, that we would not have gotten anywhere near the sort of educational experience. Um, we wouldn't necessarily have appreciated what we were seeing were it not for Bernie and Danny sort of giving us that information um, and explaining it. And, and remember, folks, you walk down these, these small you know, paths through different landscapes and you need to be careful where you're walking because you could literally step on a bird or a lizard or a sea lion because they are, it's their space, man. It, this is their place. You know, I've, I've got video, I'll post it on Facebook of these uh, two seals. It's this mother seal being followed by her infant seal. And we're just standing around and it's clear that this mother is a little annoyed where one of us is standing and starts saying things Basically, you know, you're you're on my island, you know, out of my out of my way here. What kind of training goes into becoming a naturalist, Bernie? I, I mean, this doesn't just happen. What what training do you need? In order for you to become a naturalist, at some point, uh, well, what we, me and Danny, actually have to go through is first of all, uh, first of all, an initial an initial exam, you know, which would be the admission exam. Uh, in our case, you know, because you don't have actually naturalist guide courses, you know, that often. At some point, the last one, I mean, the one me and Danny did was in 2017. The one before that one was in 2008. So you, it's not like it's an arranged thing, you know, because not necessarily we don't need that big amount of naturalists. Uh, anyways, uh, first you take the admission exam, you know, and in our case, you know, more than a thousand people apply for it but only the best 180 grades would make it. It was an exam, you know, that lasted actually for like five hours, I think it was, kind of, like four hours, okay, maybe. Uh, it was actually a very difficult exam. When I took, when we took it, actually, when I finished it, I was like, I'm not going to pass the, the, I'm not going to make it into the course, you know, never in the life. I, I did a whole job of that exam. And uh, at some point, you know, I went back to Quito, you know, to see, uh, <laughs> even how things were going 
and uh, I got an email, you know, and saying that I my grade was 5.6 or kind of like that. You know, I barely went above, you know, the the half, you know, 5.6 out of 10. But anyways, you know, it said that I was on the on the position 60 something, you know, and I was like, what? And at some point, actually, you know, I was I, I did a really bad job on that exam, you know, but. Most of the people actually did the same, you know. I made it, you know, in the first 60 spots. And then it was made it on the first 20, I think. Yeah. Mm. It was, it was, it was hard. Anyways, after that, you know, you get like these six months, you know, of having, you know, geology, uh, biology, botanics. Uh, you got loads of the Galapagos. You also have uh, human history, you know, important things that you might probably need, you know, for guiding. And actually, from all the papers that we've got, I've, I have probably have read, you know, close to 40% of them. And uh, I know that I'm still missing loads of information, you know, but there was so much information. And not even six months was time good enough, you know, to, to get to have it all in your brains. Uh, then after that, you know, we did two-week internship, you know, on a, on a yacht or on a ship. And um, and after that, you know, they, would, they finally gave us, you know, our guiding licenses, yes. That was, mm. that's the training that people go through you know in order to become a guy it's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of training uh it was also um what, what carol says i was also amazed by how the park manages the scheduling of small tour groups who most often the only boat or one of only two arriving at these pristine beaches on remote islands so yeah. was it is that what it is 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 there some coordination of these the boats and the tours yeah uh coordination well at some point you know the national park arranges uh you know at the very beginning of the year actually they did it like once uh six years ago maybe a little bit more more than 20 years ago maybe they set up itineraries and at some point they gave different ships you know the different islands they have to be at different times of the day you know for example the visit size that we were at you know on a, on a tuesday you know probably we were there uh, with the cachalot on a Tuesday afternoon, we are there, you know, every 15 days on the same spot because, you know, it's the same route I have to follow back and again and again and again. Uh, at some point, you know, having close to 80 or a little bit more than 80 ships, you know, doing the same things, you know, in order for you to avoid crashing or hanging around with so many people at the same time and uh, avoid also, you know, the amount of people going and making so much, um, at some point, yes, disturbing so much a uh, very specific uh, visit site at the same day, you know, can be, you know, a, a very handy thing, you know, to make or you know, have haven't created these itineraries. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, uh, that's, that's the that's the reason for that. Yes, it it, it was really remarkable to be on these islands with with really nobody else there, um, and and being on a on a beach with no footprints other than ours that we made. I'm curious, you know, Mark had mentioned um, Origin of Species by, by Darwin. Um, do you guys, you know, get taught about evolutionary process and, and what, I mean, maybe people don't, don't really know anymore. What is evolution? Why, why were these islands so fascinating to Darwin? Um, what was he seeing? Well, at some point, Charles Darwin, uh, well, evolution is explained, you know, the following. At some point, evolution is just uh, 
uh, random mutations, you know, in the sampling system of the, of the DNA that might happen, you know, because of, of the variants or chances that you, you have, you know, for it's, it might sound complicated. It's not that complicated, but uh, the variants of DNA that you can have on the same population, you know, might also drive you uh, to go to diverge into different species or to, or anyways, you know, to cause random mutations in the sampling system, you know, those random mutations at some point will start, you know, changing the, uh, any, any actually behavioral or physical change that, uh, that a species or, or an individual species, you know, can have. Uh, and at some point that might trigger you to try your way or, yeah, try to find your way in this world kind of more than necessarily trying to uh or developing something because i'm having to adapt to a place it's more you know now that i like this you know and i have the, the weapons that i have like or the, the body that i have you know the, the tools that i have how do i make myself on this world you know more than more than the opposite you know kind of that's what evolution at, at some point ends up being and well evolution is triggered you know by also natural selection okay natural selection is pretty much, you know, how uh, at some point some characteristics, you know, prevail or overcome rather than other ones because of the environment uh, the individuals might be living in, you know, and by the different uh, causes of, uh, of, or, yeah, I mean, any any disturbing thing, you know, yes, meditations can be run, uh, they're random, of course, you know, but they can either be positive, negative, or neutral. At some point, um, I believe that uh, it's pretty much how everything, you know, is shaped, at least, you know, uh, into the living things in this world, you know, more than how it's shaped, because it's shaped by geology, but then and the biology comes in, you know, and, and that's how biology actually uh, pretty much uh, is, you know, what is right now because of how it was at some point. Yeah, and that's what, that's what uh, Darwin was beginning to figure out was like here, like here are these different but similar animals um why do some have this kind of beak some have that kind of beak and he was really talking about the adaptation and how for some animals having a longer beak meant you could catch this particular food but shorter beaks you would then catch other food and that's part of what adaptation was really all about, adaptation and natural selection. And and what's so cool about it is that we're still beginning to, we, we, we're changing our understanding of evolution. So Danny, you, you were you were talking about that uh, off air. Um, so evolution was, was, was traditionally, has traditionally been thought of as a very slow process, but we're rethinking that now. Is that right? Yeah. Not really sure if rethinking, but yes, remember I was telling you that the Galapagos are very harsh environments, they're changing like crazy all the time. So, yes, the species need to adapt not only like for a million years, but for even seasons. Remember, I, we told you about the seasons because the dry and cold season and the warm and, and wet season, these do create different like scenarios in the same year very different situations in the same year. And remember, uh, we got an El Nino year, which increases the wet and wet season with lots of more rains and stuff, but warms the, warms the seas a little bit. 
and makes that the populations decrease uh, that the water will decrease a lot mm. for example the El Nina year as well the opposite case will produce lots of nutrients in water for example making the all the the sea life the sea lions remember the blue footed boobies all thrive like crazy but the birds who who need like plants and things will start dying because there's not going to be enough rain or to feed those trees and they have to adapt to very different very very strange conditions all the time it's not mm. that only after a million years that is why they're changing but they can you can clearly see how their offsprings kind of the average population changes between a season or and especially on el nino which is very extreme and el nino year so, so what, what is it what is el nino what is that that's when uh, you get to lose all the winds and you get like very you're stuck with this huge amount of warm waters that mm. will actually cause like all the problems actually in the u.s as well i had like the tornado hurricanes the the winds go crazy and so it's i mean it is a global thing not only to the galapos but el nino is a very important thing okay? but especially yes mainly because of the warm waters that get stuck increases the temperature increases like crazy and you will start having these hurricanes over there we get these huge amounts of rain in the galapos so everything as well remember the cactuses we saw in the galapos they are they are used to of, of living in a very dry area but when you give them like too much water they as well will die huh? so mm. everything is like it doesn't it's not so it doesn't stabilize like that much huh? that's right really, and at some point yes also any events you know are so normal it's like normal to have any events it's because like at some point that all the co2 that we exhale you know it's very common that everybody exhales co2 you know that we human beings and animals you know the only problem is that at some point we are over producing co2 in the atmosphere and that's creating you know in events a little bit more often than usual and what will happen at some point having co2 that it's such a light uh gas going all the way to the atmosphere and causing so much weight also on the atmosphere uh that will cause the depression and also you know what danny said you know the condensation process will not be held because pretty much the clouds will be very close to the to the ground and um no actually it will start raining a lot because of that time the condensation mm -hmm. process will actually happen a lot and uh anyways it gets really warm too and uh that's also uh really good for the flowering and the blooming uh but it would be a little bit uh bad for the marine species pretty much because of the pressure of the atmosphere also going so low that will push down you know the thermocline levels or the thermocline levels which are the cold water currents uh in the ocean that pushes them down a little bit and uh that warms up a lot the surface of the of the sea and for so since the colder temperatures are a little bit heavier than the warmer temperatures uh, the current temperatures will not necessarily hit the base of the volcanoes of all of these islands, and for so there will not happen an uh, upwelling of nutrients. And for so, that's why the marine species struggle so much when we have so often uh, El Nino events, you know, when we are having 
because as I said before, you know, it's normal, but it's also, you know, not often because they happen so frequently. Yes. Are they happening more frequently now, you think? Because of yeah, yeah, global of climate change? Probably. I mean, it would be normally, well, probably overpopulation also allows it a little bit, but no, we're also producing CO2, you know. And uh, yes, it should happen probably once every 70 years, but that's because of the accumulation that there will be of CO2 in the atmosphere. Uh, it's not normal that we accumulate so much, you know, that. Uh, and that the atmosphere has to create this pressure, you know, this counter pressure back in. That's what's not normal. And that's because we are overproducing CO2. That's pretty Methane much. Methane, too. So is that also part of why the Galapagos are so important? Because they do show us pretty clearly what the effect may be of climate change and global warming? I hope that at some point uh, you got a seat of concern because... Yes, of it by it or because of it being also so isolated, is that it becomes you know such a <laughs> such a fragile place. You know the variance of DNA over in the Galapagos is not that much. You know it's actually very reduced to a little mm. bit, and that's why uh, at some point a little disease you know might kill the whole population of not only one but many families. You know also uh, species. So. Um, so yeah, I think that because of that fragility, uh, we, sh- we should concern a lot, you know, and I hope that you have seen that, you know, because it's all right if at some point, you know, people have a perspective of, of life, you know, as it being on a concrete jungle kind of, but it's also kind of like, um, I don't know, we should, also, we should just be more aware because yeah, there's so many different livings, you know, that will be happening, you know, around the world and I believe that having, you know, plastic that can travel so long distances can be spread so much uh, could uh, or is a nice way of living, you know, with, I don't know, it's, uh, it's something to be concerned of, you know. Uh, of course, you know, consumism or those things can be, can be harmful, but um, I don't know, we should, we should figure out something. I hope, yeah, I hope that it, it added, you know, some concern to people's lives. At least, you know, out of the people that went on the cruise, you know, that'd be awesome if, if people yeah. went a recycling idea or reusing or, yeah, reducing the amount of plastics in our lives. That's like, that's like the main goal, right? Uh, anyways, plastic, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be the enemy. By the way, uh, a way of thinking of, of it, you know, we should think it as a precious thing. There is so much plastic, and it's such a cool thing to to have that we should reuse it and reuse it and reuse it so many times because it's so. I mean, it's a perspective that will go with consumism, probably, you know, or attached to it. I don't know if it would make sense, but yeah, precious plastic. Yeah, that's 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 a good way, good reframe of it. You know, it's a precious thing. We should reuse it and not just throw it away. Because yeah, I'm telling okay. you, we saw it there on the islands. So, you know, the Doc Joe show revolves around the I am approach. So all of this is saying we're, we're always doing the best we can. We're influenced by our home domain, our social domain, the biological domain, and the I see, how we see ourselves, how we think other people see us. Because it's small domains, these four domains interconnect, a small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. So I'm going to ask each of you, individually 
Dan, we'll start with you. What small change can you recommend to our listeners so that they have a better understanding, perhaps, about our role in the world? Yeah, for me, it would be like to look closer. Huh? I mean, for me, it was something like that. Huh? For example, today, I was lucky that I just uh, I was outside my, my home. I just looked to the sky, and there were two like hawks flying around. I didn't know we like could see hawks from my house, and but yes, if you look closely, like there's something, lots of things that can amaze you, and hmm. you can start to see like different things. Uh-huh. That's great, Bernie. What about you? Small changes can be big effects. What small change can you recommend to our listeners? Hmm. That's a good one. Um, I don't know, so we human beings are here on Earth, you know, for thriving, you know, that's what other, every species, you know, actually ends up being. But anyways, uh, I believe that it would be very important that people, you know, probably do like at least some like 30 minutes of exercise a day, uh, basically because of the importance of, you know, understanding the separation between the body, our body and our minds and, and whatever else, right? But anyways, you know, uh, at least body and mind, you know, two different things, you know, that we shall uh, understand, you know, as different things. And uh, that's, on, that's because I actually have want to improve my surfing a lot. And so I've been actually training a lot, uh, doing skateboarding and stuff. And I've been sort of understanding how actually so different things, you know, but can be so comparable and they can work together so well. Uh, I think that would be very important that people start Exercising, you know, and exercising, you know, through the fact of, of, mm. of, of getting to expose your body, you know, to the physical, uh, physical demand, you know, and at some point that will probably help you to understand your body. I would say, you know, and it's also healthy, you know, it gets your mind also kind of so, so being able to, so being aware and exercising, and then I just want to say that the second rule is you control no one, you influence everyone. And I think the two of you have been the most amazing influence on so many of us because you have taught us really to appreciate what we have in this world and to take care of it. Folks, thanks so much for coming tonight all the way from Ecuador, Galapagos, Danny and Bernie. Thank you so much. Folks, you can go to the Galapagos yourselves. It's worth it. See you all next week.